Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On this week's show, I'll speak with UAlbany football coach Greg Catuso, whose team opens its spring football season Friday night at New Hampshire. And we'll get you ready for Sunday's NBA All-Star Game with the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and the pride of Gildeland, New York, Mark Kesteser. But first... A question for you, Will. Uh, in uh, Tuesday's Daily Gazette, um, sports editor Mike Kelly wrote a story about uh, that your contract is expiring at the end of the season and that uh, this will be a topic of discussion with you and uh, Athletic Director Mark Benson. Uh, once the season's over, can you have any comment about that? Uh, all, all I can tell you, Mike, is I'm consumed with my team right now and the conference tournament, and uh, no comment, uh, you know, on that, uh, you know, at all. Uh, that was the former UAlbany men's basketball coach Will Brown from last week's podcast. Just a day after being eliminated from the American East Conference men's basketball playoffs, Brown and the school mutually agreed to part ways on Monday ending a 20-year run at the university. To discuss this is the UAlbany basketball beat writer and the sports editor of the Daily Gazette, Michael Kelly. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Ken, I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I'll point out that uh, we we mutually agree to be on this podcast <laughs> together. And uh, d- despite uh, despite a press release that, uh, that, that threw the mutually out there that you're referencing, I, I think our Mike McAdam said it best that uh, – Mutually is doing a lot of work um, in the uh, in the uh, description of why Will Brown is no longer the uh, the coach. I was, at, uh, Albany. I was telling you beforehand before we taped this segment that uh, I was listening to the clip uh, again to, to use for this, and I didn't catch it last week, but I caught it when I asked him the question. He goes, "Well, Mike." So I'm thinking, "Oh, okay, he's not listening to me." <laughs> so, but let's let's uh, let's get into this. Uh, I mean, it was the mutual parting of the ways. Maybe not a surprise, but uh, given that Brown was in the final year of his contract, but was it still a shock? You know, I think it was one of those things where it's a shock because Will Brown has been the coach there for so long that I think that most people, you know, just expected there would be a a new contract. I think a lot of people didn't really think much of the fact that he was in the final year of his contract because he had been there just for so long. Um, you know, but you look at it, three consecutive losing seasons, final year of his deal. Um, the school's athletic department has new leadership since Will Brown was hired. So the people who are there now are not the people who hired Will Brown and maybe want to have their own stamp on what's one of their you know, most important athletic programs. Um, so I think it was, I think it's stunning. It's still weird that Will Brown is not the coach of UAlbany men's basketball. Um, but if you just look at it from a college basketball perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Do you think if the Danes reached the championship game of the American East, uh, playoffs that it could have saved his job? That's a tough one. Um, I think that, uh, I, I guess actually the answer to your direct question is no. I think if they had won the term, if they I think if they had won the American East tournament, then they're, you know, that he most likely is back. I, I wouldn't even say at that point that it's 100% that he would have been back. Because um, I think we had been kind of heading toward this for a year. But obviously, if you win the conference tournament, you get to the NCAA tournament, you know, I think he's coaching that team next year, but but probably not the, 
you know, he's, he's kind of enrolling in five-year extensions, yeah. <laughs> which is the maximum that they're allowed to give him as a state employee. I think if he had won it, maybe you see a one- or two-year extension. Um, I think getting to the championship game and losing, I think um, it would have been the same outcome, you know, next day or two. I think after that season, he would have been let go. I know you talked to some of the coaches uh, last week prior to the uh, playoff starting. And I think they were in a state of shock that he was. This was even a consideration that he was in the final year of his contract and he was in trouble. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I mean, you know, coaches know the situation for everybody else and kind of, you know, understand who's in trouble, who's not in trouble. Um, I think for a variety of coaches in that league, I think it was. Uh, I think they took it in like a lot of people locally here did, where even though. You know, they might have known he didn't have a contract. I don't think that it was thought that he was in a lot of trouble in terms of job security. Um, so I think that was a, a shock around the league to some degree because, you know, Will Brown was the longest tenured coach in the American East by, by a few years um, over, over Bill Herring in New Hampshire. And then if you get past the two of them, then it's, you know, he's been there for, you know, two, three times, four times yeah. as much as all the other coaches in that league. As you mentioned, the three straight losing seasons probably didn't help Brown's cause. I mean, he had a lot of players banged up. I mean, injuries are galore there. And, of course, you know, this year with the you know, the pandemic, it uh, starts and stops and you know, uh, sort of affected the continuity of the, uh, of the team. I mean, was it really fair this year with the situation that maybe they should have given him one more year? Yeah, I mean, that's – I think there's an argument for that. I think, I think the reality of it is you're going to still see college basketball coaches – you know, fired and dismissed and moving on even after this season, which, you know, really shouldn't affect anybody's job security. But, I mean, the reality of it, you're going to see it. Um, I think for him, you know, it was three consecutive losing seasons. I think more than that, there was losing seasons. And a couple seasons ago, he had a freshman class that he really liked. At one point a couple of years ago, he was starting five freshmen. He talked a lot that year about how that group was going to get to an NCAA tournament together. Um, you know, you fast forward to this year, um, only one of those five guys really had a role on this year's team. Um, so, you know, they were losing games these last few years. And, and also the plan wasn't totally working out. Um, you know, they were only a couple games under 500 this year, but that was with, you know, a lot of transfers that had to be brought in because the plan was not working um, that they tried for two years mm -hmm. with, you know, this this group of players who, who this year are, you know, they're retro juniors, they're seniors. It's that uh, Cameron Healy, Antonio Rizzuto class where you get to this year and really only Rizzuto's playing because Healy's hurt, Luca's hurt. Malachi Souza is transferred. Brian Hank doesn't play anymore. That um, it's you know it's a it's a class of players that he was banking on that in the end um, you know as a group did not work out. You mentioned Cam Healy. Uh, he announced Tuesday that he's planning to enter the transfer portal, but he says it has really nothing to do with what happened with Will Brown. It's more like he's a he's a redshirt junior and he wants to. He's, I think he's going to graduate uh, here this year. He wants to try you know, play somewhere else. Yeah, he, you know, he was uh, he, he was pretty candid about it that he, you know, he said he didn't finalize his decision until after the season. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, 
you know, it, it probably, I, I think whatever happened with the coaching situation, you know, probably affects it somewhat just because that's, you know, the situation in which he made the decision. But he was somebody who, who redshirted his freshman season, who didn't have a lot of offers coming out of um, high school. Um, so he was always going to be on track to graduate um, from UAlbany with eligibility left. And, you know, he played very well for his first two years of playing that he was was going to have a lot uh, – he was going to have high major interest for sure. I think now it's kind of a question of, you know, what type of program is interested in him just because he has dealt with injuries for the last year. Um, but this was probably where it was headed for Cameron Healy one way or another um, because, you know, he's somebody who wants to see kind of if he can play at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Do you think the early departure of uh, Joe Cremo and Dave Nichols after the uh, 2017-18 season – Cause the ripple effect that sent the program to three straight losing seasons? I mean, it's definitely, <laughs> you have to say yes, because if they had not left, they definitely would have had a winning season in the first of those three. Um, you know, but again, I, I would kind of go back to what I was saying a little bit before that, you know, they had to rebuild. You know, they're going to have to rebuild one way or another after Joe and David had left. You know, maybe they're going to be really good for one more year, but then those guys were going to graduate. Um, and the guys that they were banking on um, were already pretty much in place at the time that Joe and David left, um, which is that Rizzuto, Healy, Luca class. That was who was going to be those guys. They ended up playing a lot more a year earlier than expected, but that was supposed to be the next class that was going to take them through, um, you know, and for a variety of reasons, you know, mostly related to injury, to be honest. Um, you know, that group didn't work out. So I, I don't know if you can totally tie those departures completely to three losing seasons, um, but you can definitely tie it to one losing season, and it definitely didn't help <laughs> the years that followed. Yeah. Well, Brown was at, was a head coach at UAlbany. The Siena men's basketball team has had six coaches in that time span. Yeah, what does it say about Brown's longevity at UAlbany? It's, uh, you know, he provided a mid-major program with, uh, I think uh, the words I used in my story the other day was uncommon stability um, and success, really, um, during his tenure. You know, it's, um, for all intents and purposes, he's there for 20 seasons. They make it to five NCAA tournaments. Um, You're a mid-major program. In the next 20 years, New Albany is probably not going to make it to five NCAA tournaments. That's, you know, that's just not something that most mid-major programs, you know, are able to do. You know, you look at just comparing it to, to Siena, like you said, six coaches at Siena during that time. If Siena, which is the MAC favorite, wins the MAC tournament this year and goes to the NCAA tournament, Siena will match uh, UAlbany during that, you know, that Brown tenure mm-hmm. for, for appearances. Um, you know, that really speaks to, to what Will Brown did at Albany because obviously, you know, his tenure also coincides with when, you know, Fran McCaffrey is at Siena. Yeah. And we're talking about comparable success in terms of total NCAA appearances between those two programs over that time. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, Will Brown essentially built Division One U Albany basketball. Um, in terms of, you know, it was only a Division One program for a couple of years before he was there. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see where that program goes, um, you know, with, with a new coach, uh, with a new coaching search from a new administration trying to figure out how they want their, their, uh, their basketball program yeah. to look. Yeah. I mean, I know it's too early to speculate on who the next coach is going to be, but 
We're going to put you in uh, athletic director Mark Spence's shoes here. What kind of coach do you think they're going to be looking for? I think it's going to be somebody who is younger. I think it's going to be somebody most likely who has not been a head coach before. I think you're probably looking at an assistant coach from uh, – I don't think it will be an assistant coach most likely from like a, like a high, high <laughs> major level um, because I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to afford, quite frankly, um, you know, that type of coach. Um, so I think you're going to see somebody from like a high mid-major program who's an assistant coach right now um, who, who's going to get basically their first chance at being a head coach. Um, I would, uh, bold prediction, <laughs> uh, not, not really a bold prediction, but I would say that the person who's going to be hired is not going to have any past connection to you all. Um, cause I know that, you know, that's always a, a fun thing to do is to, you know, float names who are, you know, associated with the program somehow. Um, I don't see them going that route. What is Will Brown's legacy at UAlbany, and where do you think he ends up? Well, I think his legacy is, um, I think his legacy is that he, you know, Doc Sowers, obviously, <laughs> you know, was, was, is such a huge influential figure in, in that college's, you know, basketball program. And, and I, I don't want to, you know, uh, undersell, obviously, all the impact that he had with, with Albany basketball. Um, but, you know, Will Brown has coached, you know, 90-something percent of that program's Division One games. Um, they, you know, I think, you know, we talked about before that they were moving on to some degree because of the lack of recent success. There's expectations to win America's championships and play in the NCAA tournament. I think those expectations were created by Will Brown. Mm -hmm. um, when you, what's next for Will? He's 49 years old, which is kind of crazy to think about yeah. because he's been the coach there for so long that, you know, even as somebody who, you know, covered him every day for several years, it's, it's you know, you would just kind of think he'd be at least a few years older. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think he, I think, I think it's really hard to tell. I think, so I think if Will Brown wants to be coaching, the, uh, uh, you know, a low mid-major Division One basketball team next season, uh, I think he probably would be able to do that. Um, but, you know, he's an interesting guy where I don't think he has the ego that he needs to be a Division One basketball coach. Um, I mean, he always talks about how he values all the levels of basketball. Um, so, you know, if, if Will Brown's next move was to be a D2 or D3 head coach, that would not shock me. I don't think that that's the road he goes down. I think he will stay in the Division One ranks because um, he has the resume that he can definitely do that. Um, but I, I would say that nothing would really shock me um, in terms of what level he goes to in terms of the divisions. Um, but I think most likely he's going to end up at a, you know, a low mid-major Division One school because that's what his resume will allow him to do. Um, and he's, again, 49 years old. He can go somewhere and coach somewhere else for another 20 years <laughs> if that's what he wants to do. Well, there's an opening in Binghamton. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's, I mean, they, they've already announced, though, that they're going with an interim coach for a year. Um, you know, and that's just a, a very different situation, yeah. I think, than Albany where – you know, that's no disrespect to to the coaches who are there and the players who are there, but an interim coach for a full year um, is a much different step than what Albany is taking currently with, 
national search and probably a full-time head coach here within, you know, a, let, let's say a month. Um, you know, that's probably what we're looking at a month to six weeks. Yeah. One other college basketball note, uh, just before we sat down to uh, tape this portion of the podcast, the Siena women's basketball team announced the cancellation of their two game series against Niagara that was scheduled to take place Thursday and Friday at the UHY center, formerly known as the alumni recreation center. And now the Saints will get set for the MAC tournament next week in Atlantic City. Your thoughts on the Saints announcement? It's just the the latest <laughs> the latest disruption to uh, to a season that you know probably has not been uh, on track enough to even describe these things as disruptions. That would kind of uh, be me suggesting that there's been an orderly fashion to to how this basketball season has gone. Um, you know, it's another really tough blow for that program, which has only played 11 games this season. They are three and eight. Um, they're going to go into that MAC tournament, um, you know, as one of the, you know, last couple seeds. Um, and they, you know, they really haven't practiced a lot. They really haven't played a lot. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's admirable that they, that those players want to continue to play. Um, but it's a really difficult situation um, that, uh, you know, just seems like, you know, they just can't catch a break. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it feels like it's every week, every two weeks that, you know, something like this comes up for them and, you know, just really a, a lost season um, for that program uh, in general. Well, I appreciate a few minutes talking about uh, Will Brown and uh, we'll definitely keep uh, on top of things with the coaching search. It's going to be interesting to see who they – Go if they if they go if this position like Sienna seems to be most of the times a stepping stone to know something else if, if that's going to turn in what you always going to turn into. Yeah, and that was always I mean you know Will Brown had interest at some points while he was there, but for the most part it was just very consistent every year that Will Brown was going to be the coach there. Um, so they're you know they're as a program uh, you know the Albany men's basketball program is is definitely entering a, a new phase. Um, and I think it's a phase two that that school is um, eager to, to head into, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I think that they are interested in, in a new path forward. Yeah. Well, I appreciate a few minutes as always. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk to when they have a new coach in place. All right. Thanks for having me. That's good because that's sports editor Mike Kelly on the uh, beat writer for the Albany men's basketball team. Coming up, we'll stay on the Albany campus as we talk football with head coach Greg Catuso. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures. At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, 
They answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette. Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The coronavirus pandemic forced cancellation of the 2020 college football season for programs that were not part of the football bowl subdivision. The 2021 spring football season is underway for the football championship subdivision teams. The Albany Great Danes kick off their six-game season Friday night at New Hampshire. I recently spoke with Dane's head coach, Greg Catuso, about this most unusual season. Well, Greg, I uh, appreciate you coming on for a few minutes here to talk about the, uh, what's going to be an unusual season and just how nutso has it been for you. I mean, normally at this time of year you're getting ready for spring practice and you're actually now getting ready to play a football season. I, I, you know, it's kind of uh, a little bit odd. When you walk out to practice, normally it's, hot and we're in shorts and t-shirts and and um, you're worried about a bunch of different type of problems than you are when you're doing this in the winter so I think you know after a couple of days it kind of became normal and, and uh, it was just football practice and and so we you know we've adapted and we just dress warm for practice and, and the kids have really handled it really well so we're we're moving along you know and we're hoping for the best and get to get out and have a good game against uh, New Hampshire next week yeah, you guys had so much momentum built up from the end of uh, the 2019 season, getting to the playoffs, winning a playoff game. And do you, now, with obviously, the pandemic slowed things down a bit. Uh, do, can you pick up that momentum after over a year off? Well, you know, I'm a big believer that momentum doesn't carry over, even week to week. I think, you know, obviously having a strong mental state and winning helps that but at the end of the day you got to practice hard and you got to prepare hard and you got to go out and play your best so um i I think that um our bigger concern of the not carrying the momentum over from 19 is just the the training aspect of it and making sure our kids are as you know in shape as they can be and when you miss a couple training regimes like we have it certainly makes it tough on the guys but they've handled that pretty well uh for the most part we're, we're hanging in there you know we're recovering from some minor injuries right now that are kind of a result of that um, interrupted training in the sense of hamstrings and groins and sore shoulders and things like that. But we're getting better. We're getting healthier. Um, you know, we got a big recovery weekend coming up. And uh, But I, all in all, I, you know, I'm happy with where we're at. I think um, we have a chance to be a pretty good football team. And, and uh, if we can stay healthy, I think we can execute in these games and get some wins. 
I mean, how difficult has it been trying to, you know, prepare, dealing with the pandemic? I know that the, the basketball teams there have had starts and stops. Uh, the lacrosse teams uh, had 11 players miss the opener on on Saturday against Colgate. I mean, for you and the team, how's, how, have you, how have you been able to navigate through this pandemic? You know, we've, we've been fortunate so far. I mean, the kids have really been, you know, we, you know, we've been uh, – working hard at, at trying to maintain the rules and, and the things that are important to try to stay healthy, but it's a, a horrible disease that, that there's really no major, you know, one protection that can keep you safe. So, you know, we've been just trying to practice and, and um, stay as healthy as we can. Um, I, I, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's a, it is a very odd structure, but the problem with football is football is a little different to some other sports. It's really difficult if you lose a portion of your team, um, the, the amount of physicality that we have in the sport is, is always our biggest concern. And I think all of us as football coaches are worried how we're going to tackle and how we're going to hold up to being banged around a little bit physically. And, and uh, so that that's where we're at. And we're just, you know, that's going to be the big question come Friday night. You know, how well we tackle, how, how well we hold up physically in a tough football game. Yeah. I mean, you only play in six games, but – is everybody happy to at least get some games in this year? Kids are thrilled. Coaches are excited. I think um, you know everybody is is eager to get on the field and play a game. It's, it has been a while since we've, we've been able to practice in pads and uh, and play a game. And I think that the the whole group of them have just had been very energetic and very excited about uh, getting out in the football field and playing. How's the recruiting aspect been affected? I've, I've asked a number of coaches uh, you know, about the fact that recruiting has been a lot more difficult in the, during this time. It, it's tough, and it's it's. I feel bad for the kids, um, the high school kids. I think that that uh, they miss out on visits, they miss out on camps. You know, we've got a group of kids we've signed that that we only know through video zooms, and um, and, and that's a big part of recruiting is that that connection, that feel for the kid and his family their feel for the coaching staff and, and the community that we're in. So, you know, it is, it's tough. And, and, um, but we're, you know, we do a lot of things to try to supplement, uh, that face to face contact, but really at the end of the day, uh, I think we're missing a massive part of what it, in recruiting, what's important, not just from our end, but from their end. I, I just can't imagine the hardships of trying to pick a school when you can't get on campus or get to meet the people. Yeah. Jeff Undercuffler, your quarterback, uh, had an, Break, uh, breakout season in 2019 uh, really looked great. Uh, how's he looking in in uh, practices, and uh, can he get better? Yeah, he's he's looked good. I, I think that he certainly can get better. I, I, you know, he's this will be his second year as a starter, full time starter, and uh, he had a great year last year. We had great people around him, but I think his role this year is magnified um, with some yo- a younger receiving core and. Uh, and, and some people around him that are they're a little bit inexperienced that are looking for him for leadership. But, you know, I talk to Jeff every day about the, managing the game is, 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 is the next big step for him. He certainly has shown he can make all the throws. He can throw touchdowns, but can he eliminate the, the mistakes that are, that, are, that are simple mistakes that can be fixed? You know, the bad interceptions, the trying to do too much on certain plays instead of just throwing the ball away. And, and I think that he's making progress in that regard. And he's certainly not reached anywhere near his – his potential, but he still has a lot of work to do as far as I can see, and, and I think that he's well on his way, and he's a really good player, and we're excited about him, but uh, managing the game will be the next big step for him. Yeah. 
Gazette, uh, uh, here we recently ran a story on uh, defensive lineman uh, Mazon Walker, and you compared him to a pretty prominent uh, NFL figure, Aaron, Aaron Donald. You, know, you obviously recruited him to, to Pittsburgh. Talk about what you see in uh, Walker that reminded you of Donald. Sure. I, the comparison was the type of player he was. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't want to tell Bazon that he's going to be the next Aaron Donald. That wasn't my intention. But the qualities that Aaron Donald possessed, the, 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 he doesn't have the physical qualities to play that position that, that generally is, is needed. Um, he's very intelligent about the game and in, in general in life. Uh, I think Mazon has that. That's a big factor to, for kids to be able to play the way they play with taking chances and how disruptive they can be. And, um, and Mazon, is, he hasn't let being a little bit shorter than he should be, that needs to be for that position, hold him back. He's quick and athletic and he's explosive off the ball and he's tenacious. And, and when you combine that with a smart person um, that knows how to read what's going on on the other side of the ball, I think Mazon has all those tools uh, – very similar to what I've seen out of guys like Aaron Donald, and a guy named Mick Williams, and Andre Monroe, some, some of the great interior linemen I've coached that might have been a little bit too small or a little too much, not the traditional-looking defensive lineman. So Mazon is, uh, has all those qualities. And, you know, I went out after I read the article and I told Mazon not to get cocky because I lied to the reporters about it. So, um, <laughs> That's funny. We, we did tag Aaron Donald in. We haven't heard back from him yet, so we'll, we'll make sure you're back from him. <laughs> what are your expectations for this season? It's a short season, but what are your expectations? Uh, nothing really changes for us. You know, we're, we really focus on what every day and individual days. It's a big emphasis for us. You know, we've, we've continued to, to utilize, uh, you know, every team kind of gets a, a mentality and ours is win the day. You know, we want to, we want to get up in the morning and, and have a great day, both academically and how we treat people and, and how we prepare and how we practice and, and how we take care of ourselves. And, and if we continue to do that, the games become, you know, they become an easier thing to try to win when you're, when you're doing everything right. And, and that's kind of the mentality. It's just one game at a time. Uh, we're not looking down the road. We know how good a team we're going into play. You know, New we play tight games with New Hampshire every year. Um, they're, they lose very, very few games at their home site, no matter who comes in there to play. And, um, you know, we happen to be one of the teams that went in there and beat them a couple of years ago. So we know we can do it. We just need to, to control ourselves and go out there and play our game. And, and that's really what we focus on each week. A little bit cliche, but that's exactly how you, you're successful. You have to have that mentality. I know you don't want to look ahead because no co coaches don't look ahead. They look just focus on the, the the week at hand. But with the, the season, you know, season this you're playing in the spring, and then you have to come back a few months later to start the 2021 season. How much? How concerned are you about injuries and you know being careful with these players uh, with with the, with the spring season? Yeah, I mean we've we have taken steps. You know, it's it's a dangerous tightrope as a football coach of being physical enough with and getting the work you need done, but yet having eyeballs down the road. And, and um, you know, we, we, we're trying to put a plan together that's going to, um, after the season's over, make sure we get them enough rest time that the, and, and to gauge that of when they can get back into uh, activity to get ready for the next season. Uh, I think we're in good shape. I think, you know, the way they changed the spring season, you know, originally it was supposed to, it was supposed to end at the end of April, 
Um, but I think now that it ends in the middle of April and there's a short playoff, that uh, if you go all the way to the national championship game, uh, I think that um, you, you got a chance to recover in the best interest of the kids. And that, that was always my concern, was that we don't overload these guys too much. Injuries, um, there's not much you can do about them. You know? and, and I think that certainly a kid that could get injured in the spring that would affect the fall for him is very possible. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're all committed to playing in the spring, and, and we all know um, that injuries are part of the game. So um, we're not looking that far ahead other than we've, we're certainly not practiced, have not practiced like a normal camp. Um, we, we've, we're built this weekend, like I said, is we're building a big recovery for the kids this weekend. We're going to make sure they get almost 40 hours, almost 42 or 48 hours, almost two full days of rest so that's our plan we're on top of that and we're just doing the best we can to manage it and i know once again not looking at it but wow what is opening schedule for the the fall you open at north dakota state one of the top programs in uh uh in in the ncaa division one double a i i still like to call it one double a it's a lot easier and then week three at syracuse so i mean that's a heck of a start to the season next year well it is and i you know one of the issues is you know we've we would love to have had a, a, a different home game in between other than a CAA game against Rhode Island, who's a great football team. So it's really a uh, – there's not any breaks on that calendar, you know, for the following year. So we're, we know what we're getting into. It's, it's part of the mentality of our league is there certainly every game is difficult. And then when you add North Dakota State and Syracuse to your schedule, it's, it's brutal. So – but we'll be ready. Uh, we'll get to, we have time to get there. Uh, this spring season is going to help us prepare for that. Um, we have a lot of young players that need game experience, and if we didn't play in the spring, I sure wouldn't want to walk out there on whatever the date is for North Dakota State with a bunch of guys that never played in a game before. So the spring season certainly will give us a chance to prepare better for next year. Well, Greg, I uh, wish you luck, and uh, hopefully uh, maybe uh, some postseason activity again for you this year. That'd be great. That's the ultimate goal. All right. Thanks, Greg. All right, thank you. Coming up, I'll speak with the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and Gildelman, New York native, Mark Ketchiser. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Brett Samuels, White House reporter for The Hill and a former Daily Gazette staff writer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The NBA will conduct its All-Star Game Sunday in Atlanta. Early on, some players were not happy that the league is having the game in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. To talk about the game and all things NBA is the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and the pride of Gilderland, New York, Mark Ketchiser. Mark, uh, welcome back to the podcast. How are things with you? Ken, it's good to be back on with you again, and I'm uh, especially looking forward to Atlanta because uh, if all things come together, as they are, it'll be the first time I'll be on site for a broadcast since uh, the NBA Finals ended in the bubble in Orlando back in uh, October. That was my first question. So you will be calling the game from Atlanta, and be, I, I guess so. You haven't. You've been, how's, how has it been calling games not in the arena? 
Well, you know, we've had some technical issues here and there, but overall from, you know, the people I've spoken with, you know, my bosses, uh, some of the broadcast folks at the NBA, you know, they, they thought we were there. I mean, not my bosses, obviously, but the NBA folks, they said it sounded like we were there. So I hope the fans have felt the same. Uh, I think from a broadcast side, you know, you're not going to, you know, have the best view that you would have while you're there. You don't get the, the, the minute details that, you know, you can't get by just watching the broadcast yourself, whether you're calling the game or you're just watching the game. So, um, you know, we're making the best of a difficult situation. Uh, I, I have not had my analyst in the studio with me all year. Uh, John Barry and PJ Carlissimo also are remote from their own homes. So that's a little bit of a challenge as well. You know, there's a slight timing delay, but I think we finally have it down pat just in time for us to all be together in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I'm just amazed that, uh, and especially on the TV side too, where they've been, uh, a lot of the gay guy, uh, a lot of the guys have been doing, and, and women have been doing the games from home. And just the timing issue, because I mean, obviously there's got to be a little bit of a delay uh, with, you know, with the announcing. It is, it's strange because, at least for the radio side, I can't speak to the television side, but I know they're, they're delivering the game to their homes the same way. We have what they call these Zoom rooms, and they could feed a couple of angles, and you can take a cable out of your laptop and run it to a big screen TV, so you have a couple different looks at the game, and theoretically, you're all watching it at the same time. The difference for me is, uh, of all the people that call games at ESPN Radio, I'm the only one who lives uh, near Bristol, Connecticut. So I go in, I get a nice clean feed, but I also get it a little bit on a different timing than Zoom. You know, every game it's different. Sometimes a half second, sometimes there's virtually no uh, time difference at all. Uh, there was one game where John Barry was seeing it like almost two seconds before me. So if you listen closely, you could see him reacting to a play before I've even seen it. <laughs> I hear him, you know, going, oh, and I'm like, what? And the guy hasn't even passed the ball yet. So, uh, you know, so a little bit of that comes into play. But I know on the TV side, they've done a really good job of, uh, taking out as much of that delay as they can as far as how we're seeing the ball game. Sometimes the audio doesn't match up, especially for the viewer, where you can tell, you know, a guy's loading up for a slam dunk and the announcer's voice doesn't really hit that critical pitch mm -hmm. until a little later than you would anticipate. So, um, you know, not perfect, but from what I'm told from the bosses, uh, you know, nobody's expecting perfect. Um, you know, I think everybody realizes that they're getting a little bit less quality. I just hope, and I know a lot of, uh, you know, the, the uh, men and women who do this hope as well that, um, you know, many of us can get back out on a full-time basis on the road, you know, when we're post-pandemic and it doesn't become an economic issue because obviously it is a, a lot more or less expensive to do these broadcasts uh, from home than it is to send a whole crew out on the road. Do you miss being out on the road? I do. I mean, I think it's awesome that I could, you know, be home in a half hour. I can do like this past weekend. I did a, a Saturday night game in Brooklyn and a Sunday afternoon game in Milwaukee. You know, the <laughs> magic of radio. You can do that uh, without the travel. I mean, you know, going through uh, the TSA lines and having multiple flights. And then, of course, in the wintertime, not knowing if you're going to get from point A to point B and stressing it out and, uh, you know, leaving the airport and getting a rental car and driving through a snowstorm to get to your point of view. You don't miss any of that stuff, but I miss the the people that we see in the arenas, 
the other broadcasters who you get a lot of great information from, and then just, you know, being with the players and coaches. Even if it's limited, you end up with so much stuff that ends up in your broadcast more than what's on, you know, your prep cards that you might bring to the table and maybe only use 5%, uh, because just being with those folks, you know, over the years, that's where you glean the really good information. So um, I don't mind the travel, but I certainly miss, uh, you know, being out there for all those other things I mentioned. Well, I'll be really impressed if you can do a doubleheader like Carl Ravage did Tuesday with the spring training game in the afternoon and the uh, basketball game he did Tuesday night. <laughs> that That is impressive. I, I used to be able to do that back in the day. I'm not sure if I'm wired to do it anymore. Uh, I remember looking back and, you know, seeing I had a Tuesday game in Chicago and a Wednesday game in Washington, and then by Friday I was in New Orleans, Saturday in Oklahoma, and Sunday in Denver. And I was like, how did I ever do that? Like, how is that possible? But I was uh, probably about 10 to 15 years younger. Yeah. So those days may have passed me by. Yes. <laughs> so what are your thoughts about playing this game in the, uh, in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I think on its face, it does, you know, seem a little odd. Uh, you know, you, we had another, you know, set of games wiped out with uh, the Toronto Raptors are going through all kinds of tracing issues right now. We saw all the games that had to get moved to the second half, um, you know, from the first couple months in the season. You're trying to make sure everybody stays healthy. You want to get through the season uh, to have as much quality of a true champion as you can. And then it just feels like, yeah, you probably should take those five days off. But I get the other side, too. I get it that it's one of the biggest days on the calendar for the league. I think, I don't know if I'm speaking accurately here, but I thought I heard Adam Silver say a few weeks back that this is the most watched or most viewed event worldwide. Um, I assume he means even more than the finals. It's, you know, it's, it's a great exposition. I think the fact that they are kind of doing a mini bubble which I'll be a part of where, you know, I mean, the bro- I have to be there as a broadcaster on Friday before 6 p.m. to start testing. The players are going to be brought in on private jets on Saturday, and they're going to leave on those private jets on Sunday right after the game. No parties. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think there's going to be very much in the way of fans in there. I don't have that information in front of me. But I think they're going to try to contain it as much as possible. And um, and there's obviously an economic, maybe out front, maybe I buried the lead. There's an economic reason yeah. why this game is being played as well, especially uh, with the Turner Television contract. All right. No courtside Karen then, I think, right? <laughs> uh, I hope not. Uh, you never know, but I hope not. <laughs> well, the league Hopefully is- not next to me, wherever yeah. we're sitting. <laughs> oh, that was incredible. That was a f- funny but frightening at the same time. Anyway, the league is uh, keeping the same format in honor of Kobe Bryant. If you can explain what that format is to the people that don't know and how exciting of a format is it? You know, I thought it went off pretty well last year in Chicago. Uh, uh, they're raising money uh, for uh, different charities that will be announced, and each uh, they count every quarter win as a win for that charity. So every quarter will reset with a score at zero. And when you get to the third end of the third quarter, they'll add those scores up, and then the team that has the highest score, they will add 24, which was in honor of Kobe Bryant, and that will be the target score. And the first team to reach that target wins. And last year, uh, Team Giannis had the lead after three quarters, so Team LeBron, I think, had to score 33 points to Giannis's 24 and they did. Anthony Davis had the walk-off free throw, and on we went. So it was cool. You know, we're, we're always the same. If Whether you have a, a clock that's running down or you have the elamanding, as I guess it's called, as long as it's close in 
in the fourth quarter. That's generally when things will tighten up, guys will play a little defense, and guys are going for victory. And we got that last year in Chicago. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, how do you think the league's handled the pandemic so far? I mean, unlike last year when they were in the bubble down in the Orlando area, uh, there weren't any uh, positive tests, but obviously – this year, without no bubble, the games there have been games postponed because of some positive tests. As you mentioned, the Raptors have had uh, issues uh, recently. Yeah, I think they're doing as well as they can. I think they've asked the players and coaches a lot, really, to you know stay in their hotel rooms, to stay in their homes when they're you know in their home market. It, you know, there's a there's a sacrifice there, obviously. Although you know, many of your listeners may be like me, and probably you, where. You know, we're, we're staying in our little bubbles here. We're not doing anything reckless. We're waiting for vaccines and, you know, and try to get back to some sense of normalcy. But, you know, these are uh, young guys. Some of them, you know, don't have families and it's no excuse to, you know, you want to get out and, and do stuff. But I think uh, largely um, everybody has committed to it. And that's really the only way uh, it's going to work because just on its own, you know, uh, five guys against five guys, whether or not they're sweating on each other and, you know, they're, they're banging bodies, they're sharing the same ball, yeah. <laughs> essentially. You know, especially the way uh, offenses pass the ball these days, you know, everybody on the floor is, is touching that ball at some point and is probably an easy, easy transmission point. Uh, so I, I think with all that said, you know, uh, guys are taking it seriously, uh, overwhelmingly, and they've already gotten through half of the season with whatever it was, 20-plus postponements. Um, but largely, they have put together, you know, a season like we would expect. I know there's 72 games and instead of 82. There, uh, some teams are going to be asked to play a lot of games in the second half because of issues they had earlier. So that's still a test. I mean, as good as it feels to get to this halfway point, and hopefully the All-Star game goes, goes off without a hitch, um, you know, the next 65 to 68 days where teams are playing 35 to some are playing 40 games in that stretch, just – you know, the minutes toll, um, and also staying healthy and staying safe until we get to the postseason. There's a lot of questions to be answered before it's all done. But I think in general, uh, considering the state of the world right now, it, it looks normal. I haven't been in the arena to feel it with the empty arena and the fake crowd because when we were in Orlando, those were small little arenas that they had set up and crafted, and they're playing in these, you know, cavernous buildings right now. So I think what we're seeing at home uh, seems like a pretty good product, uh, you know, resembling, you know, what we've seen in previous years. Let's take a look at some of the uh, first half stories. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets uh, obviously have assembled a dream team with uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and it looks like they're going to battle with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks for Eastern Conference supremacy. I would agree. Uh, I, I think Brooklyn becomes the odds-on favorite uh, on paper much like the, the Clippers and the Bucks last year, and we saw that the paper kind of flamed for them in the second round last year. Uh, you know, hopefully Kevin Durant, uh, as he comes back from All-Star break, and uh, Steve Nash at least indicated to us over the weekend, you know, it wasn't a guarantee that Kevin was going to be in the lineup right after the All-Star break. They're going to reevaluate him, and it's a little bit of a slower recovery than they anticipated uh, from that strain. So if he stays healthy, and Kyrie and James Harden's been terrific, uh, to me, the favorites. We had the Bucks on Sunday. Uh, Giannis had a great final seven minutes where he carried that team, and that's what he's going to have to do. I mean, for all of us, I think you know the Bucks are just kind of put on hold, and we wait till the playoffs come, and let's see if they can finally get over the hump. And the Sixers have been a great story. Um, you know, Embiid is 
playing as, you know, many had hoped he would at some point in his career. I hope he could put the full season together, stay away from injury. Uh, ben Simmons, you know, those guys are still terrific together. Hopefully Tobias Harris, you know, gets back to 100% health. And uh, Doc Rivers is a great coach. And then you got kind of the others behind them to see if, you know, the Celtics make a move and Kemba Walker gets back to 100%. Uh, the Knicks are kind of a fun story for now. I think the Raptors, even though they had that awful start, still going to be a player when this is all said and done. Uh, and then beyond that, the Eastern Conference, um, you know, I don't have high hopes, even though the Miami Heat are the defending Eastern Conference champs. Uh, things just haven't really clicked for that team yet this year. Yeah, you mentioned the Knicks. I mean, Tom Thibodeau has done an outstanding job, and I think you know, for the first time in a long time, the Knicks fans can be happy with this team and playing well. Maybe, maybe not being a title contender, but at least they're competitive now. They are. And, look, Julius Randle's been a great story this year. He, uh, he was with the Lakers right before LeBron came and then ended up going to New Orleans signed one of those one-and-one contracts, kind of betting on himself, and then he opted out. And then when the Knicks had cleared all that salary cap room, when you know they were hoping to get Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, you know, you saw the transaction pass. They got Julius Randle, and it was just kind of you know thrown aside, almost you know like a joke because okay, you missed the the big guns. Uh, we'll go to Plan B. But he's had a terrific year this year. You mentioned Thibodeau. He's he's a great coach. Guys buy into his system. And uh, the Knicks are fun to watch. I, I enjoy having them on. Uh, I, I always tell Mike Breen, like, every time I see him do a game, usually it's not a Knicks game. I think I've seen him do more Knicks games this year because it's been fun to put on uh, MSG and, and watch those games. Yeah. And out west, the Utah Jazz are, you know, really been a story of the Western Conference to be dominating right now. I mean, can this be their time to win their first NBA title? Boy, it's a great question. Uh, that's one of those teams. That is the team, right? Like Rudy Gobert, he's a really good player and having a terrific year. But when you're thinking about, you know, putting your, uh, you know, top players out there, I don't know what number he comes in at, and he should be higher than he is. Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, bouncing back off the disappointment last year. Bogdanovich is healthy. You know, Mike Conley. So I, I love them as a team. I just hope it's not one of those, you know, we peaked in the first half. I'm not going to say they're going to fall off, but I want to see it over the long haul. Uh, you want to see the Lakers be healthy. The Clippers are, uh, again, a little bit of an afterthought because they never perform. They change their head coaches like the Lakers. They um, change some of their other players. Uh, you know, the bench with Montrez Harrell going from the Clippers to the Lakers was a big deal. And then, you know, I look at the standings and I see the Phoenix Suns, yeah. you know, sitting at number two on a Wednesday morning. And, and that was a great story in the bubble. And, uh, you know, Denver and Portland are down toward the back end of the Western Conference, but those are two teams um, when healthy in Portland's case, and Denver should be better than they are. I can't quite figure out why they're been so up and down and sitting seventh right now. You know, those are the teams you expected to be in the top half of the West. Yeah, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you about the Suns. I mean, they went 8-0 in the bubble last year, didn't make the playoffs, but it seems like that momentum has carried over into the season. You know, maybe thankfully for the short offseason, but... Yeah, they're, they're percentage points ahead as we speak on Wednesday in the uh, Pacific Division, uh, number two team in the Western Conference. I mean, can they make a run to the title? It's a great story. Um, 8-0 last year, add Chris Paul to the mix, who's averaging nine assists per game. I mean, this is the, the best he has statistically has been uh, at his position, you know, in a few years. And I know he kind of moved off ball a little bit in Oklahoma City last year, so maybe that skewed a little bit, but just... 
for that young team to have a guy to mentor them and still be able to play at a high level means a lot. Devin Booker is one of the you know best shooters and scorers that we have in the league. DeAndre Ayton seems like you know he's starting to come around and live up uh, you know to the lofty pick that he was taken at, and they've got some really good parts as well. So uh, I don't know how far they could go. This is you know look at Golden State sitting eight and without Clay Thompson and some guys you never heard of. And they're still playing good basketball, and they're going to make somebody miserable in a first-round matchup, uh, you know, coming up in May. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say any of these teams outside, for me, outside of the Lakers, who I kind of put above all when they're healthy, uh, LeBron and AD, you know, I kind of pencil them in to at least the conference finals. All the other teams, um, you know, you can make a case for as well, even, uh, you know, especially uh, Denver and the Clippers, I got to throw Utah in there. I always shortchange uh, the San Antonio Spurs, and I shouldn't. Uh, but that's another team that you don't want to go up against uh, a Greg Popovich team early in the playoffs because they got some sneaky good players as well. I mean, how much do the Lakers miss Anthony Davis right now? Oh, terribly. Um, he and LeBron have a real good thing going. I mean, we saw it last year where AD actually had a better scoring average than James, and of course LeBron ended up leading the league in assists for the first time in his career. That's, that's a huge loss. He's such a, uh, a talented player, and that losing streak really got momentum when Dennis Schroeder was out with uh, COVID protocols, missing three or four games. You know, you're missing some real playmakers there. So uh, I think they're going to take their time with Davis, obviously. They said it was a four-week injury, uh, so that would put him about ready to go as the second half starts. Um, but like we said, with teams that have these crunched schedules, and just about everybody does just because of the nature of trying to get 72 in by the middle of May, uh, you could see where they're going to start to watch that minutes load, and they're going to take real good care because if they don't have Anthony Davis at 100%, um, you know, as great as LeBron is, and we've seen him carry teams in the postseason in his Cleveland days, uh, it, it'd be hard in the stacked West. They could get pretty far, but but they need Anthony Davis uh, near full strength. Well, you can listen to the NBA All-Star Game on ESPN Radio Sunday with Mark Kessler calling the action from Atlanta. The Jake from State Farm Arena, I believe it's called, right? <laughs> That's right, it is. And I have to dust off those uh, dunk calls again. You only do that once a year. And unlike figure skating, where a lot of times you, you get the, the play sheet beforehand, you know what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, we don't know until it happens. Like, if a guy jumps out of a car again, uh, you'll see it when I see it. So I, I try to be loose with the vocabulary. Get ready. <laughs> Sounds good, Mike. Appreciate it being with talking in the NBA. And uh, hope stay safe down there in Atlanta and when you come back. Always great to catch up with you and uh, especially the folks in the Capital Region. All right. Appreciate it, Mark. That's Mark Kessler. sir. Uh, coming up, I'll wrap up the podcast and announce the Week 3 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street, 
if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm Cena Men's Cross Coach William Gleason, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Week three of the NASCAR season is in the books, and the winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Gary Fuelner of Scotia. Gary wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Gary. Gazette sports writer Jim Schultz was the top VIP points winner. For the second straight week, Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC was the winning VIP advertiser. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will also appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. Well, that Mad March college basketball thing is on the horizon. Sign up for the Daily Gazette's Bracket Challenge, presented by Ultimate Roofing. Go to dailygazettecollegehoops.upickem.net to sign up and register. The first place prize is $500. The second place prize is $200. And the third place prize is $100. Plus, you'll have a chance to win national prizes and national bonus prizes of $1 million. So sign up today. The contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. The second wave of the coronavirus is hitting us, so please be vigilant. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is coming out, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Michael Kelly, Greg Catuso, and Mark Kessischer for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.